In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. The souls of the virtuous are in the hands of God. No torment shall ever touch them. They who trust in him will understand the truth. Those who are faithful will live with him in love. Wisdom 3 verses 1 and 9. We don't find the book of wisdom in every Bible. That's why when a reading pops up from wisdom, it's always so refreshing and, well, wise. On first reading, I think of torment as the troubles I'm going through now, the ups and downs of life. I have plenty of those. So I must not be a virtuous soul. Then my eye drifts to verse 9 and I realise I understand the truth, whether it's easy or not, and I am as faithful as I can be. So for that, I'll live with God in love. You see, God is above everything and understands his world a whole lot better than I do. Whatever torment I suffer in this earthly life, I'll be able to manage As long as I trust and I'm faithful in the Lord, the torment should not cause me despair because I know that there's life after death. All that's good in theory, I know. I can, if I want to, bring myself up short when I start to wonder what the meaning of life is as things are falling into ruin around me. As Christians, we know the meaning of life is about our relationship with God and with each other. Together, we can muddle through on earth and look forward with great expectations and excitement to the rewards of heaven. Hello, welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. Good morning, Texans. Good afternoon, English men. Hope all is going well today. My guest this week is Lisa Schusterman, who did what others only dream about and called it homeschooling. You'll just have to stay with me to find out more. I'll be talking about our trip to the beach on the only two sunny days of June, train travel with a difference and good food and tea. So make yourself comfortable with a slice of cake and a cup of tea or your bowl of cereal and coffee while I share a snippet of life across the great Atlantic on this, the first day of July. Happy new month. I'm an avid homeschooling reader. Not only did I read a great many books aloud to my children, I read a lot to myself as well. I've just finished a book I bought with my son's Christmas present to me, a gift bearing no comparison, a certificate to Barnes & Noble. The book was a love story set in rural India and beautifully written. However, it took me almost three weeks to read the almost 300 pages, and I've just described myself as an avid reader. So what happened? When, while sitting at my mother's bedside, I had the book with me in the bag, holding my emergency survival kit, toothbrush, Colgate, hairbrush, lipstick and Burt's Bees, hand cream, the Bible, a prayer book, diary, fountain pen, tissues, glasses, my book, the book in question, slippers and my phone, an extra jumper, some gum, an iPod full of music and an apple. 
I arranged everything but the book carefully on my mother's table, but I couldn't bring myself to spend the final hours of her life, although she of all people would have approved, reading a novel. The time would have flown by. A friend of mine talked about how time flies with different things for different folks. She goes to yoga with a friend who clock watches and sighs through the class as the minutes creep by to the end. Finally, several days later, it seems. While my friend, on the other hand, is surprised at the end of class and sighs. An hour gone already? Reading and writing are like that for me. I sit down with a book and before I know it, an hour has blown past. I decide to write for a while and the hours vanish. I wanted every minute to count as I sat vigil with my mum. I knew they were her last, and so I consciously made the decision not to fritter away the time immersed in someone else's story. What did I do? I read the Bible, but I didn't pay attention. I sought the Psalms and found some solace. I pondered over which Psalm the Catholics had added, because Psalm 23 in all the Bibles I can lay a hand to is, The Lord is my shepherd. But in the Roman Catholic prayer book, it's Psalm 24. I went through the holy cards and my mother had pushed that my mother had pushed between the pages of her missal for no evident reason, just plopped in randomly. There were a lot of mission cards, missions hosted by her parish church, but attended by her. I have no idea. I don't associate her with attending extra masses during the week unless she absolutely had to on a holy day of obligation, for example. Maybe the leftover mission cards were handed out on Sundays. I found the words for the sick and dying and said them over her. I whispered the part of Nostra in her ear. I stroked her head and made her wince when I touched her throat accidentally. Under other circumstances, she would have turned and looked at me and brushed my apology aside with her brilliant smile. Another thing I did was eavesdrop. Visiting time was from 3 to 3 to 8 p.m. each afternoon. There were only three other women on the ward, and the one next to Mum had her son visit one day. He was jolly and knee-smackingly positive, as sons usually are, telling her she looked lovely and why was she still in hospital. Then her daughter and fiancé came to visit the next day. I'd heard about the fiancé from another overheard conversation. He was in his late 50s and never been married before. Their visit was very polite, and they talked about all kinds of private things, including the changing of her will. I was only a thin curtain away, but they conversed as if a brick wall separated us. A jolly good fellow patient would wander in occasionally from his ward on the same corridor, claiming he was lost. And then he would stay and chat up the ladies. Cheeky bugger he was and very funny. He made the most of his stolen time on our ward, but always went quietly when a nurse caught up with him and herded him back down the hall. The little lady opposite Mum would shout, Go away! This is a lady's only ward! Whenever she saw his shadow fall across the threshold. Vincent spent one night with me and we reminisced until the rising sun glinted off the office buildings at St. Mary's Docks, easily seen from the hospital window. He wondered if she'd sneak away as she and Dad had done when they used to leave us at our grandparents as children. We got cold feet as they were leaving. We'd be easily distracted by the offer of a glass of milk or the charge to go and find the dog Rex and poof, they'd be gone just like that. I was determined to keep an eye on her to thwart her clandestine efforts at leaving without my watching. The time passed quickly without my reading. I watched as Mum struggled with death. I told her she was ready and had her final rites, but she looked as though she still had unfinished business to take care of. Her war was with the heavens. She was grappling to maintain her fragile hold on earth and go when she was ready. I held her motionless, cold, soft hand and watched. 
I willed her to go gently. I wanted to see her face flood with peace, her radiant smile brighten up the room, but she left, finally, while I was distracted by something else. When I returned, she'd snuck away, as I really knew she would all along. My willful mum had to have it her way, even unto death. I read Dylan Thomas's famous poem for his father at her requiem mass. The words we'd learned, we'd, the words... We'd learned them together when I was 12, are so much more poignant today, and managed to adequately capture the valiant way my mother left me, sitting by her bedside all alone. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rage at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end know dark is right, because their words had fought no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men are caught and sang the sun in flight and learn too late they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And as I mentioned, we did have my mother's funeral. Actually, it was at the beginning of this week. And last weekend on Sunday, we travelled to Broadstairs, a journey of about 80 miles, taking almost two hours by car, 90 minutes by train, which was our chosen mode of transportation that day. The break in the weather meant that most of the people on the last leg of the journey were going to the seaside. They had children, buckets and spades, deck chairs, baguettes and bags of excitement. Southern England was flocking to the beach and it was 10.30 in the morning. We'd all set off after mass. Our local train station was closed for the day. That happens quite a bit around here, but never fear, there were buses put on to make up for the inconvenience. These special train replacements... Buses were free and took us to the surrounding area stations that were still open. While we waited, one of the train staff had befriended us, not a ticket seller. They are notoriously unhelpful at Beckenham Station. The trash collector come road sweeper. He was determined to see us onto the right bus and kept us updated on its ETA, just in case we felt tempted to board a bus going the wrong way. We may have been crazy Americans, but not that crazy, and the morning was warm and pleasant, so we contentedly awaited our replacement bus. When we arrived at our alternate station, we had to stand in line, a queue as it's called here, and were amazed at how lovely and congenial the one-ticket seller was, even when confronted with a growing line at her window. When our turn came, she gave us as much attention as everyone else and even told us we could buy a family pass instead of paying full price for three tickets. We ended up saving £25, which is probably about $40. And she asked us if we were sure we weren't coming back any time within the month because a return family pass was only a couple of extra pounds. But we had to say no because my brother was driving us home the following evening. The ever-ready McNenny family had cunningly packed a lunch and we held off for an hour. Malia really has the munchies here. She'd eat all the time. After a huge meal one afternoon, she rubbed her tummy and commented, Ah, oh, that'll last me, oh, about an hour. And she's not far off. At the start of our journey, a man came into the carriage pushing a rolling trolley with sandwiches, crisps, peanuts, tea, coffee, soft drinks and alcohol, asking if we wanted to purchase anything for the journey. I'd forgotten the services offered on trains covering a distance. How quaint. Larry bought a bottle of water for a fortune and we wondered what a small bottle of wine would have cost and surmised that each drink may cost a standard £1.50. We'll ask next time. 
Anyway, it looks as though I have got to go on a short break. So I'll be back in about 90 seconds after these brief little messages. And my guest this afternoon is Lisa Schusterman. And you won't want to miss her. She had the opportunity to put her life into perspective after experiencing something most of us will only read about. So she found things that were once important no longer seemed important. And other aspects of life which were given less focus suddenly took on a higher priority. So join us after these 90 seconds and um, Lisa and I will discuss her very interesting year that she How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. I love it. Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen know it. Join these soul sisters on toginet.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. Showcases two sides. One, to help entrepreneurs showcase their products and tell their story of their happily ever after. And two, to interview people who have realized their own fairy tale and doing something to benefit others. This show is here to help folks who have an idea and want to get it off the ground, as well as to inspire people to make the world a better place by doing something extraordinary or out of the box to help others. Both of these entrepreneurs have their own businesses and websites. With more information on their passions and successes, first for Debbie, Fairy Tale. Wishesinc.com and for Diana, the next big zing.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true with the Soul Sisters, Debbie Glickman and Diana Cohen on Toginet.com. Welcome back to the Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's the Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, this afternoon I have Lisa Schusterman on the phone, and actually she's in this morning for her in America. Um, and um, Lisa uh, did an exciting thing for a year with her family. And um, welcome, Lisa. Vivian, Lisa? are you there? Yes, yes, I'm here. Okay, I just heard some static. Good morning, or actually good afternoon to you. Yes, well, it's, what is it, 9 o'clock there? It's a, just a little bit after 9 a.m. here. Yes, yes, well, it's a little bit after 2 here, so, um, you know, I've, I've almost, I'm, I'm at the, the latter end of my afternoon or, or whatever, and uh, you're just starting, and happy new month to you. Thank you to you, too. Right. Well, before we um, embark on um, what you did for a year, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, the dynamics of your family and um, how you looked before you changed your life. 
Well, uh, let's see. Um, for everybody who didn't hear first, my name is Lisa, and um, I live here in Cincinnati, Ohio, in the United States. And um, I have a husband, Marty, and two daughters, Avocet and Sienna. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, life before our life-changing event was pretty much probably the same as most Americans. Um, we have um, two kids, uh, a pet. Actually, we have two pet rats. Um, we live in a home here in Cincinnati that we own. Um, two cars. My husband works full-time um, as a CPA slash business consultant, and I worked part-time as an arbitrator. Um, and our kids were going to public school um, here in Cincinnati. All right. So both your girls, um, how old were they? Um, before we left for our adventure, they were nine years old, and they had been in public school uh, pretty much from the beginning, from preschool at age five to um, till the time we left. Yeah, and so the twins. Yes. Yes. Um, okay, so tell me um, what you did and um, why you decided to do this. Well, uh, what we did was in June of 2008, our family, the four of us, left for a one-year trip around the world. Wow. Um, we left in June of 2008, came back in June of 2009, and over the course of the year, we stopped on six continents in 40 different locations. Wow. Um, why we did it? Well, I guess you could say the seed was planted about 20 years ago. In my former life, I used to be a financial planner. And I had a client who took a year off to sail. And while that didn't terribly appeal to me because I get seasick, the idea of taking a year off to travel really did appeal to me. Um, first of all, the aspect of just traveling and seeing the world and everything it has to offer. But in addition to the aspect of traveling, there's also the aspect of vacating your life and experiencing a different lifestyle. So while you can take a vacation for a couple of weeks and have the experience of travel, you don't have the experience of vacating your life, really, because a vacation is just that. You're, it's short-term, and you're going to come back to your life, whereas a year is long enough to really experience what it's like to live a different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And... Um... Obviously, you didn't do this on a whim. A lot of planning went into it. So how long did you plan, and and how did you do that? Well, like I said, the uh, seed was planted about 20 years ago, um, but that was actually I was single then, and um, when I met my husband, I kind of threw it out. You know, someday I'd like to take a year off and travel around the world, and he's like, okay. And either he didn't think I was serious and actually do it, or he was on board. I'm not sure which. Yeah. Um, but then life happens, and, you know, you get jobs and buy houses and have kids, and it's, it's still in the background but not in the forefront. But in um, January of 2006, I turned to my husband and said, you know, if we're going to do this, probably age nine is a good age for the kids um, to do something like this, and it's not just going to happen by thinking about it. It's going to happen because we make it happen. Mm-hmm. So. January 1st of 2006, we sat down and said, okay, we're going to start planning with a target date of uh, June 2008. So we did actually physically plan for about two and a half years. And what that meant was it meant planning everything from our itinerary to how we were going to manage traveling. Um, We actually booked um, almost all of our flights um, before we left. 
We had most of our accommodations established before we left. We did research on our destinations, and our itinerary really became a um, evolving um, tool because places that we thought we were going to go, we didn't go to. Places that we didn't expect to go to, we did go to. So as we went through the planning process, this whole um, itinerary shifted and molded into something different than what we first anticipated it looking like. Um, we also needed to get things um, settled back at home. Um, we needed to figure out how we were going to rent our house, what we were going to do with our cars, our personal belongings. Um, we needed to make sure that mail was taken care of, bills, you know, everything that is normally taken care of by you living here, we still had to take care of, um, mm-hmm. and we just had to make provisions for it. So, um, you know, personally, I find it really difficult to plan a 10-day vacation. I'm going, now, where do I go? How shall I do this? How long shall I stay here? I can't imagine trying to do it for a year because there are so many places to see. And so where did you start from? I mean, did you go the furthest you wanted to go and then make your way back? Or did you just make your way out? How did you do that? We made our way out. Our first stop was in the Netherlands, and we picked that for several reasons. First of all, weather-wise, we were trying to create a perpetual spring. Um, One, because it's it's a lovely temperature, Mm -hmm. and the other reason is um, logistically it's easier to pack for mild weather. Uh, You don't have to carry bulky sweaters or jackets or things of that nature. So you can. it's easier to pack lighter if you have warmer temps. So what we were looking for is to create that, and since um, we were leaving in June, we needed to stay in the Northern Hemisphere um, and start looking at temperatures that were going to be mild. The other thing was we figured it was important to have a success straight out of the box. And what I mean by success is not going someplace where the culture shock would be so great that everyone would say, oh, my God, what were we thinking? This is crazy. This is insane. Or that the kids would get scared or intimidated. We wanted someplace that would be somewhat easy, for lack of a better word. So by starting in the Netherlands, we did have the mild temperatures. We picked a country that was small, easy get, to get around, great transportation system. Eighty-five percent of the Dutch speak English, so we knew that language was not going to be a big issue for us. So that was our objective in picking that. And from that point forward, obviously, you need to take into consideration keeping your travel costs down. So obviously, we continued in Europe. Um, And then also just logistically what made sense both in terms of places that we wanted to see as well as places that we felt we could stay for long periods of time. Traveling for a year doesn't mean you're going to hop, skip, and jump every two days. You need to stay put for a long period of time or you'd be exhausted. Mm -hmm. So we would pick places and stay there for at least two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. And so we needed to find locations where we said, yes, this is a place where we could settle in for two or three weeks instead Mm -hmm. of, well, this is interesting, but we think we would get bored here after three or four days. Mm -hmm. So all of those things were taken into consideration as we created this itinerary. Um, Also, we wanted to go somewhat off the beaten path, So we didn't do Western Europe. We did more Eastern Europe. But we also wanted to stay in places, again, because we were traveling with kids, places that we felt comfortable taking them to instead of too far off the beaten path where the infrastructure gets a little um, sketchy and uh, conditions would be a little rough. Mm -hmm. And so what did you do about money? 
I mean, what I mean is, what did you do about money within each country? I mean, I know in Europe, well, they have the euro, which kind of helps a little bit. But, you know, um, how did you do that? Did you change all your money before you left, or what happened? No. um, The only thing we had before we left was euros. And the only reason we happened to have euros is not so much the aspect of planning ahead, but at that time, the dollar was dropping. And we knew we were leaving and that we were going to be in Europe three months. So what we did was we bought a bulk of euros uh, to take advantage of the exchange rate situation. Um, And other than that, we did have um, a little bit of a chunk of American dollars, only because there's certain places that only wanted American dollars. As an example, you go into Tanzania, Africa, and you have to buy a visa, and they wanted American dollars. They didn't want Tanzanian shillings. Mm-hmm. So there were places we knew in advance that we would need American dollars. So we did have a stash of that. Other than that, um, all of our money was obtained um, in the country uh, through ATM machines. Yeah. And it really was the best way to travel because that way we weren't carrying an excessive amount of cash. We would take out, I can't say small amounts, um, because if we knew we were going to be there a long time, we would try to take out you know, large enough chunks. But um, we could monitor the money so that by the time we were finished that country, we didn't have an excessive amount of money to have to exchange back. Every time you exchange, obviously, you're going to have to lose money on the exchange. So we tried to keep that in check so that we wouldn't lose too much money. So that's a wonderful lesson to um, teach your children is budgeting because your husband, you said, was a CPA, and I'm sure you had a budget. I mean, (laughs) you couldn't not. And um, did you keep within your budget? Were you pleased with with how everything worked out as far as that went? Um, Actually, ironically enough, the the trip came in about – Three or four thousand dollars under budget. So I'd say yes, we did keep within our budget. And while we had a budget overall, we didn't have a day-to-day budget or a country-specific budget. And the reason is we had to. We felt we had to look at the trip overall. In other words, Europe we knew was going to be expensive, whereas India or Southeast Asia was going to be inexpensive. So we used the less expensive countries to balance out the things that we wanted to do in the more expensive countries. So we knew our first three months were going to be high, um, Mm -hmm. but then we also knew that there were times where we would make up that difference in another country. Mm -hmm. Um, There were also days where we spent not a cent. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we would go out, we'd go for a walk. Uh, Netherlands, we had bought some used bikes, and we just go bike riding to the beach um, and spend the day on the beach. And so, therefore, we really weren't spending money, whereas other days um, there were splurges, like we did take a safari in Africa or we took a uh, weeding class in Laos. So there were things that were splurges, but then we also knew that there were days where, you know, we weren't spending anything. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we stayed within budget as the trip overall. Uh, admirable. Amazing. Um, For those of you just joining us, I'm talking to Lisa Schusterman, who fell into homeschooling for a year. By default, she and her family headed off an adventure that taught her girls far more than they would have learned in a classroom in Ohio. She admits they may not have learned Ohio history, but they did learn about geography and culture, language and travel, and so, so much more. Come back after this short break and learn from Lisa about how traveling is the best form of education.
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hey, moms, get ready for Living the Dream Mom with Nina Fry. Thursday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Living the Dream Mom is about the true realities of motherhood, the beauty and the rewards of watching your children grow. All these moms have something in common. They put their kids first. It's not about the kids all the time and the diapers and the bottles and the breastfeeding. It's about showcasing the mother in motherhood, real moms in the real world. Do you get it? Now that's what the show is about. So every week, let's get together and we'll share these great stories with you guys. And I hope by the end of the show, you'll be saying, you know what? That is my life. Nina gets it. And I can't hardly wait to see what she brings me next week. Don't miss the next Living the Dream Mom. It's real moms in the real world. Thursday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Living the Dream Mom with Nina Fry on Toginet.com. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. So, Lisa, when you left, did you have to promise your girls' teachers that you were going to keep schooling? Um, we promised nobody anything. <laughs> um, one of the reasons, you know, people always say, you know, well, why, why a year? And, and a year for lots of different reasons. But one reason is if your kids are gone for an entire year of school, there's nobody really there to question anything. You just didn't return to school, and then all of a sudden you re-enroll a year later. Yeah. So it wasn't a question of being gone for half of the school year where the teachers would insist, oh, well, this is the curriculum you have to cover. Um, we were just gone for a year. So we left for the year. We actually um, knew that the girls were going to go to a different school. They were going to transfer schools um, just by design, not by the fact that we were relocating. Um, So the people in the old school knew that we were doing, but the people in the new school didn't. Um, We had registered them, and then we just said we're deferring our mission for a year, and they said okay. Um, And so we didn't promise anybody anything. And the reality is, um, we're going to use the word homeschool in quotes because there's lots of defi- different definitions of homeschool. And what I would say is the type of homeschooling we did for that year was a little bit more or closer to what people are now calling unschooling or road schooling, mm-hmm. which means that we didn't formally teach anything other than math. 
And we did keep up with math. We brought some math books with us because math does build on what you learned the previous year. Mm -hmm. So we did want the girls to go back to school and not feel behind or lost because they had missed a year of math. So we did sit down and teach um, math in in a formal structure, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But other than that, we had no books. We had no set curriculum. Um, We unschooled. We learned whatever it is there was to learn based on where we were. So if we were in Rome and we were visiting the Colosseum, we learned about, you know, the ancient Romans. Um, If we were in the Netherlands and we were visiting windmills, we learned about alternative energy. Um, So, no, we didn't get the fourth grade Ohio curriculum, um, but I don't see that my girls are, you know, worse off than any other kids. Um, In fact, far more advanced than the other kids. Okay, so you said something about taking a weaving class in one of the countries you visited. What other, what, tell us about that and what other kinds of things did you do to immerse yourself in the culture? Sure. In, well, in Laos, um, a lot of women do weaving, so we took a full-day weaving class. Um, we had a translator. There was, the women don't speak English, but we had a translator. And we spent the morning um, dyeing silk, making natural dyes. Um, from roots and vegetables, and then dyeing silk, and then taking the silk and weaving it into cloths. Um, it was an incredible experience, and for me, the biggest experience was to realize how backbreaking that work is, yeah. um, and and how tough it, it is on these women, and they get so little for their um, for their products. Um, it's it's really astounding. Um, and let's see, we took a cooking class in Thailand. Um, which was a great experience, and, uh, you know, my kids sat there just like everybody else with great big knives in their hands, everything from making curry to uh, cooking burners and making pad thai and uh, various Thai dishes and then having the wonderful experience of eating what you made. Mm -hmm. Um, In China, we took a Chinese chess class, and their chess is different than our chess, Uh, so we spent a day learning how to play Chinese chess. We also took a Chinese calligraphy class. Um, you know, the Chinese letters are just so beautiful, and just learning how to make them, again, another challenge um, that, you know, we sit there and think, boy, how do these young kids write this language? Because it certainly was challenging for us. Um, when we got to uh, South America, since all, almost all of South America does speak Spanish, um, with the exception of Brazil, that was going to be the one place where we were going to be in a one foreign language for the longest period of time. So we took Spanish classes. And the way we did it, because we knew we were going to be going from country to country rather than taking, going to a school, we hired tutors who um, came to our house. Mm-hmm. And we did that in two different locations, in Chile and then um, one in Argentina. And uh, also a great experience, uh, particularly the one in Argentina. She was just wonderful. She would come in and do all kinds of different things. She did a cooking class with us all in um, in Spanish where we made pancakes, which we would call crepes, mm-hmm. and they put uh, dulce de leche inside them. Or we'd go out on an adventure in the street and um, take a bus someplace and do touring around, but, again, all in Spanish. Mm-hmm. So uh, there were lots of opportunities to formally uh, immerse in the culture, but also just um, informal ways of immersing yourself in a culture just by doing things that aren't tourist things, spending a day in the park, 
um, which, you know, as tourists, lots of people don't go to a park. Um, You know, it's kind of off the beaten path, but, you know, we spent Mother's Day in the park in um, Quito, Ecuador, and it was just filled with people doing what people do in Quito, Ecuador. Mm -hmm. Um, So lots of opportunities to just experience cultures just by traveling off the beaten path. And so you were able, were you able to organize some of these things? You said you had most of your hotels booked, most of your flights booked before you left. Um, what about the, the activities within the countries? Did you use the Internet a lot or did you wait till you got there and then um, decided what to do? And I noticed somewhere that you had taken your computer. You did take your computer with you, right? Is that we right? Did. We did take a computer. Um, it was one of those debates whether or not to bring one for lots of different reasons, anywhere from theft and not so much the theft of the computer, but the information, that the data that would be on it, to I was just afraid that everyone would, you know, want to spend too much time on the computer and not want to go out and do something because it was more fun to just sit inside and stay on the computer. We did take a computer, and it was definitely the best thing that we had with us. Um, I won't travel without one now because it was a huge source of information. Um, And in terms of what we had planned in advance, we did have – um, actually, we had all our flights booked with the exception of our flight back into the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, we couldn't book that one because um, you weren't allowed to book that that far in advance. So we had to wait on that one. Mm-hmm. Accommodations, we had almost all of them booked. And one of the reasons we did is because for eight out of the 12 months, we rented apartments. Mm-hmm. And apartments are tough to get at the last minute. You can't just, you know, wander into a country and arrive at the airport and say, hmm, Let's go find an apartment. Mm. Um, and we really wanted to stay in apartments because, first of all, economically they're, they're much cheaper than actually having hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. But also, again, it's a different way to immerse yourself in the culture mm-hmm. um, because you're going to be shopping and you're not going to be in tourist areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so having to go to the supermarket and, and cook your own food was another way of experiencing the culture. It's also a huge cost saver. Um, when you're traveling, eating out is very, very expensive. Yes. And being able to cook your own meals is a huge money saver. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, for a year, you certainly would get tired of eating in restaurants. Yes, yes. So because we booked apartments, those really needed to be booked in advance. Now, as far as day-to-day stuff, we did not book anything in advance. All okay. of that was planned once we got into a country. What we did do is we had a binder, um, and we had all our research for each of the locations that we were going to. So we knew what there was to do there, but we didn't have any day-to-day activities planned. We would just say, well, what are we up for today? What are we looking for? Or we would look to the kids and say, you know, Wednesday is your day to plan. Mm -hmm. And they would have to figure out what it was we were going to do that day, how we were going to get – to that location um, and things like that, which is a great learning tool, you know, teaching them how to read a bus schedule, a subway map, um, a train schedule, um, and figuring out how you're going to get from point A to point B. Mm. Um, As far as um, danger in countries, you you talked a little bit about, um, you know, you didn't want the children to feel afraid. Um, what, what was it like? What, what was, what was the most third world type of country that you went to? You know, you said you stayed in apartments and I'm thinking, Ooh, I wonder what some of those were like. (laughs) So Um, what was, what was the one that was the least, um, like your culture that, that, um, you stayed at? Um, well, first of all, the places that you would call third world, we actually could not find apartments in. 
So those places we did have to use hotels or guest houses. Um, so basically from Africa through India, Southeast Asia, and China, um, we did either stay in hotels or guest houses. Okay. In terms of what's the most different, that would have to be India. Yeah. Indian culture is um, probably the furthest um, from what we're used to here in the United States. Yeah. And um, I'd say India is a love-hate country. Uh, there are aspects about it that you love because it is so different. Um, I mean, where else can you go where you're going down the street and there's cows walking down the street or camels um, or pigs or monkeys? I mean, I've never been to a country where you'd see that on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's fascinating. And the way the women are dressed is just stunning. I mean, I never got tired of seeing women in saris mm-hmm. um, walking down the street. But at the same time, it's a struggle to travel through that country. Mm-hmm. Um, they they look at you. They know that you're not Indian, and therefore that means money. So mm-hmm. you're constantly hassled by people who want you to buy something or take you to some place to buy something. Mm-hmm. Um so it's exhausting traveling through that. Also, it's hordes and hordes of people. Um, you know, their population is huge, and you're just not used to being in places where there's so many people. Mm. Um, and so I'd say that was the most different yeah. um, in, in so terms not of even, not even China. I would think you see that China would be different too. I mean, China was different in a different way perhaps. China was different in a different way, and it also depends um, where you are in China. If you're in the countryside, you would have more of that. Um, we happened to spend, well, we spent some time in Hong Kong, which is very westernized because it was owned by the British. Um, but we spent most of our time in China in a town called Yangshu, and because it's a um, travel destination for Chinese as well as Westerners, um, there is enough Westernized culture there that you could find some food that wasn't just Chinese. Um, Our hotel happened to be owned by somebody who was from Australia. He was Chinese by um, birth, but he had lived a lot of his life in Australia, so he could speak English. So... um, so it, there were Western aspects um, mm-hmm. to the country. It is still different, but I felt like India was. So India. Um, Isn't, I, I find that so unusual or so so strange because it was um, under the British Commonwealth for so long. I would have thought the English influence. Obviously, they didn't leave. Or in 1947, the Indians decided they were going to eradicate all of the English culture or whatever. We have to go on a really short break. Can you come back for about five minutes and talk about your book? I sure can. All right. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4 or 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you. Here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage. Connect with Juliana in media.com. 
Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune into Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Mind Matters is the show that dares to ask what's on your mind. Take this opportunity to join Dr. Larry Ross, clinical psychologist and Joan Duhane, licensed clinical social worker, as they combined have over 50 years of experience in dealing with your mind. Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, only on Toginet Radio. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, I'm talking to Lisa Schusterman, who um, took her family on a trip around the world for a year. And um, really, we've just covered um, hardly anything at all um, in, in the short time that we've been together. But I really do want to talk about your book because your book is out there. And anybody who wants to find out more can go buy your book. So tell us about the book. Um. It's funny because when I came back, um, people kept saying, of course you're going to write a book, aren't you? And I thought, why? Um, you know, there's so much travel information out there. That it's really not necessary to write a book. But I kept waking up with um, these thoughts, and I jotted them down, and one day I realized these were chapter headings, and they were chapter headings of a how-to book. And then I realized the purpose, which is when we were planning our trip, I had trouble finding one good source to help me put it all together, to say, here's what you need to do. Here's how to create an itinerary. Here's how to evaluate what the best type of accommodation is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I thought, you know what? P- other people shouldn't have to reinvent the wheel. There should be one place for people to look and say, here's what I need to read to, to get me going on creating a long-term travel plan. Um, and so that's what I did. Around the World in Easy Ways was created for that purpose, and with one other purpose in mind. It was such an incredible experience, Vivian. And the thing is, we're not an extraordinary family. We're an ordinary family who did an extraordinary thing, which means that other ordinary families out there can do this. Um, It doesn't have to be outrageously expensive. It can be done cheaper than what we did it for. Um, And I wanted to inspire other families to do it to go out there and take a year off and experience a different lifestyle and travel the world and let their kids see, you know, something other than the microcosm that they live in. Mm. So those are the two main purposes of the book, to inspire people to make long-term travel a part of their life and then to make it easier for them to do it. And uh, so the book is available. Yeah, where can we find it? Yeah, Well, it's on Amazon.com. Mm-hmm. Around the world in easy ways, and it's also available directly on my website, um, which is aroundtheworldineasyways.com. And it's in a few select um, bookstores um, here in the Cincinnati area, but the, the two easiest ways to get it are online, either through Amazon or my website. Well, um, Lisa, I have one other question for you because I really don't want to let you go because I, I haven't really 
done, you know, sort of asked you everything I wanted to ask you. But um, how did you adjust when you came home? Um, well, I could say I'm still adjusting. Yeah. Uh, the kids, the kids, interestingly enough, it's as if they, you know, they didn't miss a beat. I mean, they came back home, they started calling their friends, getting together with their friends, having sleepovers, went back to school, no big deal. It's in some ways as if it never happened for them, um, except when they speak about things, um, you can tell that they're a little more worldly than other kids of their age because they have had just different experiences. As for my husband and I, um, we're still adjusting in a lot of ways. We live our life a little bit differently. We've discovered that some things that were once important aren't important anymore. Um, I hardly buy anything. Um, I realize stuff is not what my life's about, and just the opposite. I find myself purging, trying to make myself lighter and lighter um, instead of accumulating. Um, there's a restlessness um, that both my husband and I have about getting back out, and we've taken vacations since we've been home but not you know, long-term travel. Um, in fact, I've been getting so restless that my husband said, why don't you just go somewhere? And uh, so I'm thinking about uh, heading down to Central America to study Spanish for a month. Um, so there's this restlessness about being out in the world um, yeah. because there's just so much that it has to offer. Yeah. And just um, how, how we live our lives, you know, keeps evolving. Uh, what we see as important is different than what we saw as important in the past. Uh, careers aren't as important. Um, accumulation of wealth is not as important. Um, building relationships, it, it has become much more important because yep. I think in the end that is what this is all about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. I'm sorry it couldn't have been longer. Um, I've been talking to Lisa Schusterman, whose first experience of world travel was as a nine-year-old on a three-week family vacation to Europe. She now says she lives for travel, and we talked today about how she made her dream of traveling for a year come true, even after she'd had a husband and children. There were no books out there to help guide her through the process of preparing for such an adventure, but there is one now. Lisa's book, Around the World in Easy Ways, A Guide to Planning Long-Term Travel with or Without Your Kids. And it can be found on Amazon or on her website, Around the World in Easy Days. Um, she shared with us how her life took on a different perspective once she and her family returned home. She could do without the material possessions, but not people. Her friends and family became even more important than before. And once again, thank you so much, Lisa, for joining us. Enjoy your 4th of July weekend. Um, make it safe, and um, I hope to speak to you again soon. Vivian, thank you for having me. It was a delight. Good. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Well, we're back to the train in Broadstairs. Not quite as exotic as my guest, but still, we're there. And um, we heard an announcement come over the loudspeaker in our um, cabin telling us that at one of the stops, actually at Faversham, the train was going to split and the front eight carriages were going to go to Broadstairs while the rear four carriages weren't. This spelled disaster for the likes of my blue-eyed cowboy who almost flew into a panic as he looked around the carriage to find the telltale number that would assure him that he wasn't going to end up on the wrong leg of the journey, but no number was displayed. Can you imagine if each train carriage had a number and they had to be hooked up in order. 
when the ticket collector came around, he discovered that we were in carriage number seven. So we were safe. We wouldn't be going somewhere alien. And later on in the journey, the approaching station announcer began telling us which carriage we were in. This is carriage number seven. So the confirmation of our carriage number added further relief to my naturally worried Texan out of Texas. And at the appointed station, Faversham, the train did indeed split with a lot of clanking and commotion, and we continued our journey to the seaside, along with the baguettes, the deck chairs, and the bags of excitement. And when we arrived, we joined the crowd of holidaymakers as they streamed down the high street towards the sea. By the time we dropped off our bag at the bed and breakfast and wandered to the promenade, the fog had come in. And hundreds of Britishers were doing what Britishers do best, sunbathing in their socks and sandals behind their windbreakers with cardies wrapped around their shoulders. The tide was on its way out, was leaving mounds of smelly seaweed, and there were brave folk in the water. Hmm. Brawlstairs tends to attract contrary weather. In fact, Malia and I looked up the hill to whence we'd come, and sure enough, the skies were blue. Well, this week... Well, and last week, I've been having some letters from the National Health, and they're always a good read. I had two letters sent to Mum on June the 13th, after her death, about her ear, nose and throat appointment, which was on Thursday, June the 16th. The first, or at least the first I opened, read most formally, We regret to inform you that your appointment on Thursday, June 16th, 2011, has been changed. And below, there's the new appointment date for Thursday, the 21st of July. The second letter I opened also read most formally, We regret to inform you that your appointment for Thursday, July the 21st has been changed. Changed. And below, there's the new appointment date for Thursday, June the 16th. This is a round of appointments, the 21st to the 16th, the 16th to the 21st. Which shall it be? Both appointments are at the same place with the same specialist. And since mum missed her June the 16th appointment due to circumstances beyond her control and... Had she been alive, because of the confusion brought on by the conflicting reminders received through the letterbox, a further notice was sent pointing out that she had indeed missed her June 16th appointment and another one had been made for her on July the 14th. So now we have two July appointments that may or may not be valid. And then another piece of mail came through reminding her to keep an appointment at the elderly clinic, which is where they monitor memory loss. On Wednesday the 7th of March... 2012. I found this particularly amusing as how can a potential memory loss patient possibly remember an appointment made nine months in advance? Bless the national health is all I can say. By the way, the mail system is very good here. They rely on it a lot. Sending out reminders the day before an event, trusting it will arrive on time. There must be a lot of peons manning the phones and posting reminder letters at the National Health Service. And I think... And that yoga classes are too expensive here. The other day when I was in a funk, I thought we wouldn't pay $30 each time we went to class in America. So we found a website called Yoga Glow and signed up for $18 
a month for unlimited yoga classes being streamed in on the net. The classes are archived and presented in such a way that we can pick and choose not only how long a class that we want from 20 to 60 minutes, but the style and the theme of the class. There are classes designed to protect your shoulders, to aid digestion, to relieve stress, to calm if you calm yourself if you're angry at yourself. And we're trying it out since we bought two really expensive yoga mats and feel we should get all the use we can out of them. So we roll them out in the living room and put up the computer and plug in the speakers and we take our classes. And so far, they've been pretty good. And um, without um, parents around, our children have um, taken on different dynamics. But I'll talk about that a little bit next week. Um, I can talk about wheelie baskets. Wheelie baskets are a must when we're shopping the English way. In America, we don't think anything of loading up our grocery basket at the store and then going to the car and unloading it to take home and then unloading it again and putting it away. Well, we do think twice because we groan. Walking down the high street here and stopping at various shops fills our bags up. And by the time we get to Sainsbury's, our main grocery store, we get what we think is not a lot, just a bottle of wine, some cider, some bread and fruit. And we're dragging our feet on our trek up the hill home. Unloading is a task we look forward to because it means that we've made it to the kettle and the promise of a cup of tea. So on my last trip here, I did buy a wheelie basket. And when my handsome husband came here, he set it on some better wheels. And um, we still need to be careful because invariably we overload the grocery cart and extra bags have to be toted by hand. But at least we don't shy away at buying the heavier necessities like milk and Branston. Marmite, chicken portions, coffee, beer, and a wheelie basket is just that. It's a basket on wheels, like a rolling suitcase. I mean, it's a basket. It's quite cute, actually. Well, I've managed to use up another hour with my mindless prattling, and it's time for me to bid you farewell for the week. This weekend, there's a garden party at the flats where I live with hubby and daughter. We can say it's an English Fourth of July celebration, but they don't celebrate here, so shh. We'll have English barbecue, I suppose, and be entertained. That same evening, we're going to see a band play Friends of Rocker Hubbies at the 100 Club. Two great things in one day, so we'll rest on Sunday. So you have a safe and glorious fourth. And without further ado, I will say thanks to my handsome hussy, who, hubby, who believes in love at first sight. Our four children, while the result of that belief, we miss the three of you in Texas. The hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, my guests, Lisa Schusterman, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, and many others. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Do, 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 do. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toto.